what has resonated the most is you know, when, I, when I've spoken with elders about tradition or culture, or like how to be mindful of it, you know, the best lessons have come from as, as long as you're approaching everything in a good way, you can ask any question that you want and we'll take you where you're at. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Thanks for joining us. Native Lights is a place where we talk with Native folks from around Minnesota or connected to Minnesota in some way, shape, or form. And we really love to talk to our guests about what they do in their daily lives and how they give back to their communities and how they found their purpose in life. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to continue on with that. How's it going, Cole? It's going great. It's going great. The ongoing wedding venue saga is continuing, but I think <sighs> we're about to, to pick a venue. No way. Yeah. I mean, we still got some more tours, but we're, uh, we're close. We're, we're zoning in on it. Okay. Well, everybody you know, talks about the wedding, right? Yeah. I want to hear more about how's engaged life. Right, that's a big deal too. I mean, it's it, more than just planning a wedding. <laughs> I mean, it, it's also answering the question: When is the wedding? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a big one. <laughs> I haven't asked. I mean, really. <laughs> We're not going to be engaged for too long, but you know, just um, just enjoying the fiance life right now, and you know, making preparations for the big day. So it's it's great. Very good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've just been listening and reflecting on the latest Counter Stories podcast, another mm. production that Ampers does. And the recent episode is about the disparity in media coverage when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous women and relatives, um, especially with what's been happening with the Gabby Petito case, the young woman who was whose remains were found mm -hmm. in Wyoming. Just oh, a horrible case. Um, and the hunt is on for her, well, past um, either boyfriend or fiancé. Mm -hmm. um, but just how much media coverage that case got. And, you know, not to lessen the importance of it, but to also raise awareness that, hey, there are a lot of cases around the country and in Wyoming too, um, that could get even, you know, a small percentage, if not um, a significant amount of media coverage as well in help finding women or getting justice. Mm. So I thought it was a really interesting podcast, counterstoriespodcast.org. So definitely check that out. I think it's a really important conversation. Karina Berry and Marissa Cummings, um, are the guests on it. So nice. great guests, great hosts. Very nice. Yeah, check that out. So Definitely. yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking about lately. <laughs> but nice. um, our guest today. Yes. As with many of the guests we've had on the show, um, today's guest is you know super multifaceted. He leads a couple organization and he's also helping raise awareness for a major issue uh, facing our state, Minnesota, and region and country. Um, so I'm very excited to speak with uh, today's guest. 
Rob Perrow is an entrepreneur and citizen of the Bad River Tribe in Wisconsin. He's the CEO and creative director of an indigenous-led marketing firm called Paradigm. And he's also the voice behind Minnesota's statewide Your Call MN campaign, uh, which raises awareness about sex trafficking. So here he is. Bonjour, Rob. Hi, Rob. Hey. Howdy. Hey, it's nice to meet a new person. I know, right? So could you just uh, please introduce yourself and uh, where you're joining us from? Bonjour. My name is Rob Perrow. I'm joining you from uh, just outside of Madison, Wisconsin in Cambridge, which is where our uh, office is located for Paradigm, and we are a media production company. I am a Bad River uh, of Lake Superior uh, Chippewa, and I'm also Oneida, and uh, we are a proud Indigenous-led media company. So, Rob, how are you doing? How's the family doing during this pandemic, especially? You know, it's been a year and a half. How are you holding up? That's a great question. I think... uh, I think people ask that more often of each other than we have before, which is probably a good thing. Uh, everyone's a little bit more mindful of, of where people are at. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you asking me that as well. So I have, I have four kids, one that's about to be 20, one that's a senior in high school, and an eight-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. So three girls, Aubrey, Lissy, Kai, and Jovi. And uh, they're all doing well. Three of them are back in school. They have masks on, but it is what it is. And my uh, oldest went to school for a year out in Colorado uh, at Fort Lewis College. And uh, she played golf for a year. And it was a really, really odd freshman year in college because it was 20 to 21. So they were kind of not in session, but you like went and lived in the dorms and you take your classes virtually. So that was a little too intense, I think, for her to be that far away with everything that was happening in the world. So she decided to come back after that first year. She had a great experience. Uh, she wanted to come back and work. And I think she's going to go somewhere in the spring that's more local. Um, but overall, you know, our family is, is healthy. We're back in school. We're staying busy. Uh, and again, you know, trying to be as mindful of others as we can, which I think is a, a sentiment that we all have taken away from the last year and a half of our lives is, is really appreciating where people are at, regardless of agenda, politics, or any other things, but just kind of respecting that space and being happy to see new people again or, or old, new, fresh faces and just connecting again. So we're, we're in a good place. How are, how are you guys? Very good. Thank Very, you. Yeah. I have one eight-year-old son. And he's he just skips right into school with his little mask on, and you know <laughs> it's like it, he does. It's like he doesn't even notice it's on. They're not, you know. He's just happy to like go hang out and learn. Yeah, they're they're very resilient, you know, kids, and they're they can take punches like better than us adults can because we sit very <laughs> sensitive, so we don't have things the way we want it. I guess. Mm-hmm. But I hear that. Yeah, I'm doing a uh, pretty well too. Fiance and I have a nearly 10-year-old pup, Stanley. Um, <laughs> that's as close as I get to a kid. <laughs> but yeah, doing very well. So uh, Rob, you, you gave us a little intro to um, some of the things you do. Could you just tell us a little bit about your background and kind of you know, what inspired you to, to go on the path you're on now? Sure. Yeah, I mean, everyone's story is unique, you know. Um, I think, uh, you know, mine was, was definitely a story of, of identity and like I didn't have a traditional path of going, you know, getting, doing, doing great in high school and going to college and being successful right away. 
you know, I, uh, I had some hiccups there and, and had some life experiences and ended up joining the Navy um, and, you know, to, to screw my head on straight. Um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a journey for me, you know, a, a journey of finding myself um, to back up a little bit. You know, my my father, who was, uh, was full blooded, passed away when I was a year old. So I was uh, my mom had me when she was 19, married my dad, Bob. And then uh, my dad was in the Air Force and then he uh, got leukemia. There just wasn't a lot to do back in the 70s when he got leukemia. And this was a, a advanced version that uh, he basically lasted about six months after he uh, contracted that. So, you know, uh, I wasn't very connected to my indigenous or to my father and my stepfather came in. So I was a bit rebellious um, and, you know, was was trying to find who I was uh, and, and it took me a long time. You know, so that being said, you know, I went back to school, I moved to Madison, I got a degree in architectural drafting in, in 2000. I worked in engineering. I got my head on straight, per se. Um, I met my first wife. Uh, I had a couple kids, moved out to Cambridge, which is where my, my first wife is from. And I worked in engineering and, you know, the professional field uh, for about five years or so. And it was, you know, I thought I was fully adulting, you know, at that time. Like, here we go. I have a salary. I have health insurance. I have a couple kids. I bought a house. You know, things are where they're supposed to be. It took me a few years, but, you know, I sure learned a lot with all the other experiences I had as well. So I felt like this was a good place to be, but I wanted to try my hand at sales. Friends of mine who were in their mid to late 20s were getting into sales and making more money. So I think everyone kind of has that dream of, you know, doing that, being independent. So I did that, tried my hand at sales, got to insurance, uh, was was successful and and thrived in sales and in that industry of building relationships. I got out of that um, and got into what I was always passionate about, which was design and marketing and the creative world. And that's what I initially went to school back back in the 90s for right out of high school. I was an artist. I was an illustrator. I wanted to be in graphic design and and commercial design. And it just felt like here was an opportunity with my friend's marketing company. They were looking for someone to do their sales and business development. And I could kind of take my hand back at being a creative again, which... I was always passionate about it was always a hobby of mine. So that kind of started me on the path of being an entrepreneur as I started my own LLC to be that sales contractor for this marketing and film company. It just changed my world upside down and I found my passion again. During that time, I put myself back through school uh, at Full Sail University. I earned a bachelor's in graphic design and marketing. Um, this is about 10 years ago now. And uh Started to build a book of business as I was providing services for them and building a book of business for myself uh, down in the Madison area. And I networked uh, with the American Indian Chamber of Commerce of Wisconsin. You know, and as we know, you know, being in Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know, we both have 11 federally recognized tribes. We have pretty, uh, you know, a, a strong presence, you know, at least in the kind of chamber world. We have strong tribal enterprises. We have you know, casinos, there's industry for, for our tribes in our two states, as opposed to like Illinois that has zero tribes, you know. So, you know, there's there's definitely, a, uh, there was a, a place for me to network and a place for me to be mentored in Wisconsin. And I found that at the American Indian Chamber. And they took me and like wrapped their arms around me and gave me a couple bigger projects right away. But they really empowered me and gave me a lot of tools and, and, and introduced me to a lot of people um, in the native economic development world 
And there's a lot of opportunities there to work in that space and, and to do some really good work. You know, that um, kind of spun me into, you know, getting an office, uh, being a bit more public instead of working out of the house or working out of the, uh, the studio. You know, now we're uh, an agency uh, with a, a brick and mortar location and a, a capacity to do national projects. And we're just a very nimble dynamic crew that does really good work and we've built some really good relationships along the way and, and been able to put ourselves in position to take advantage of some really uh, high value opportunities to, to do some really important work like this. Um, so it's been a kind of fast and furious journey, but all of a sudden it's 2021 and you know Paradigm has been around for uh, almost, I think, 10 years now, 10 or 11 years. Um, and yeah, we're doing well. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Rob Perro, entrepreneur and citizen of the Bad River Tribe, who is the head of an Indigenous-led and Wisconsin-based marketing firm and is the voice behind Minnesota's statewide Your Call MN campaign, raising awareness about sex trafficking. You mentioned identity uh, when you, uh, you know, were beginning to talk about your background. Could you, you know, expand on that a little bit more? And, you know, I, I did see that a, your grandmother was a big part in, in your identity journey. Uh, could you just um, maybe just talk about that a little bit more too? Yeah, you know, my, uh, the Perro family relocated really for, for work. You know, my grandfather moved on from uh, Bad River back in the, the 40s for, for work, ended up getting a job at GM and ended up retiring from GM. Uh, my grandmother was Oneida, was from the Toma area, uh, really had a different experience, uh, but, you know, ended up in that kind of a South Milwaukee Bayview area, which is where most of my uh, Native family uh, is located now. Um, for me, you know, having my father pass at su such a young age, it was a really interesting dynamic, and I see all the pictures, and my mom's side is, is German Polak, and my dad is uh, Ojibwe and Oneida. But they would all get together for all the holidays and everyone's smoking cigarettes back in the 70s. So you just see ashtrays in every corner. And but it was like that's was the experience. And it was it was inclusive and it was beautiful to like see that uh, those families come together. And obviously, when my dad passed away, you know, my mom remarried a couple of years later to uh, my stepdad, who he passed uh, seven years ago. But a really, really good, hardworking German guy. Um, who I ended up being a military brat for and moving around every couple of years. But I didn't see my, my indigenous side as often, you know, maybe once or twice a year. So my grandmother would send me little lessons, actually teaching me some Oneida words um, when I was living in Germany, when I was living in Nebraska, when I was living in Mississippi and Texas, because um, these are all years like four through 13 that I was traveling as a, as a military brat. And would keep me connected. And anytime I went there, I really felt it was, I'd spend, you know, time with my uncles. Um, there was an uncle, uh, my uncle Frank was the youngest. He was actually about seven, he's only seven years difference in age from me. So him and I were always very, very close. And he always kind of looked at me as his bigger brother. My, his, my, my dad, Bob, was the second oldest. Um, so I was always very, very close with the Perro family and definitely felt connected but didn't really know anything about tradition or culture, you know, beyond, you know, the imagery that was in my, my grandparents' home, um, you know, and, and definitely understood that family was, you know, the A number one priority, no matter what, you know, like we all hug. And I mean, my wife always is like, 
you guys are so affectionate with each other. You know, I, I hug and kiss my uncles. Like that's what we do. We, we do that with everyone and all our cousins and that's just how we are. We love each other. Um, so that was something that always resonated with me, you know, growing up is just how loving and, and together my, uh, the Perro family is, um, but discovering like identity and, and culture and tradition and like, you know, my own, you know, kind of lineage, um, didn't come until probably in my thirties, you know, when I, when I had a little time to, to reflect on that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. It, it seems like there are other ways to connect with identity than necessarily um, knowing everything, knowing all the protocols, you know, and and all those specifics, but instead like being of service to your community and and connecting that way, and you know, being a good relative and all that stuff. There are a lot of different ways to be cultural or to be a part of your community. It's like, you know, like you didn't really realize until I went out and, you know, started working in, in native country to understand that, you know, we all are just taking care of our relatives. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is something that I just learned as a kid because it was just in our blood, you know, but you, I saw it later when I actually went out because you always get afraid. And, and you know, I, we were in the midst of filming a documentary, which I've been filming since 2010 called Bad Indian. But it's basically just about my journey to try and figure out like kind of who my dad was at first, because you just, you could never know, uh, you know, I, I have no recordings of his voice or anything like that. Or, you know, I just have old pictures because he was so young, but um, it was very important for me in my midlife crisis time to try and discover that. But, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of intimidation when you go back to, the Bad River Reservation, I've never lived there. And you start asking questions about what's life like, like what was life like? What is it like now? You know, so I've learned a lot just in those, you know, interactions. And I think what what has resonated the most is, you know, when I when I've spoken with elders about tradition or culture or like how to be mindful of it, you know, the best lessons have come from as, as long as you're approaching everything in a good way, you can ask any question that you want and we'll take you where you're at. And that's what I've appreciated the most. You know, it's there's no perfect way to do it, but a majority of the of the people out there that are willing to to speak with you about culture and tradition uh, are happy to to showcase their knowledge and to be inclusive. You know, but there's still that wall and that anxiety that people have of like you know getting uncomfortable. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Rob Perro, entrepreneur and citizen of the Bad River Tribe, who is the head of an Indigenous-led and Wisconsin-based marketing firm and is the voice behind Minnesota's statewide Your Call MN campaign, raising awareness about sex trafficking. Okay, Rob. So can you talk to us a bit about your marketing firm, Paradigm? What what the heck is a marketing firm? Well, if you hear marketing or advertising, most people hang up the phone. Uh, they think they're being sold on something. But, you know, it's really uh, about creating a narrative. And Paradigm Media, you know, specializes in media production. Uh, we specialize in consulting, marketing, uh, advertising, uh, public relations, basically encompassing what an agency does, but we're very uh, scalable. So we can work with nonprofits and small businesses and provide uh, kind of a, you know, a one-off or a la carte service 
but we can also be, you know, retainer based and, and really be the backbone of, you know, the messaging that, you know, a company or a corporation or a nonprofit uh, is trying to put out there to build brand awareness, to get a product sold, to, you know, increase their ROI. So we are a multifunctional media agency and very proud to be indigenous led and have, you know, integrated ourselves into native country in Wisconsin um, on the economic development side as well. And, and, uh, are on retainer with uh, the American Indian Chamber and, you know, happy to be there and, and happy to, you know, help serve uh, Native small businesses and enterprises as well, uh, kind of across the Midwest. So that was the basis of our work, you know, over the, I would say the first, you know, six to seven years as, as our client base grew. And now we work with, you know, companies big and small. Do you have an example of like a memorable project that you worked on with a Native organization? Sure. Um, yeah, when Menominee Tribal Enterprises uh, got the contract to do the Bucks floor, um, I was contracted by MTE to go into the Bucks practice practice facility and get some B roll of uh, of that flooring being installed. And just to be, um, I love the Bucks, and just to understand, like MTE Menominee Tribal Enterprises, their selection process and their um, uh, their commitment to sustainability with with their forest. Uh, it was just a really cool opportunity and, and my first opportunity early in my career to understand that natives were big players. You know, that we were big players in, in all sorts of different industries. And it was just really cool and an eye-opening moment for me to be there um, and, and to be kind of on the on the front end of of capturing, you know, Menominee Tribal being the, the floor for the Milwaukee Bucks and many other courts across the country. So really cool to know that that wood that's sustainably grown is being used. Mm. So Rob, it sounds like you have multiple jobs, <laughs> um, multiple careers going on, uh, and a, a lot of pulls on your time. Is that safe to say? That is very safe to say. <laughs> yes. I also delegate though. I have there you go. great people around me. Yes. See, that is key. <laughs> Great. Well, really, you know, in the last few minutes we have together, I really want to make sure we talk about your Call MN campaign in Minnesota. Can you tell us a bit about it and your involvement in it and kind of what's its meaning to you? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, we were made aware of a project, a human trafficking training program for Enbridge, which was part of a permitting condition that they had. Uh, I believe it was two and a half years ago, and they were looking for an indigenous-led team to lead this, potentially if there was one, because of the impacts on tribal communities in Minnesota. Very, very uh, you know, contentious project to take. We had a lot of opposition to Enbridge that were involved with uh, putting this permit condition out for them. And that being said, we also had a lot of participation from opposition with Enbridge and filming and and producing this film, the Our State, Their Lives, Your Call uh, documentary that you see on there. So, you know, this was a quite the journey and, and it was a very tough project to just kind of wrap my brain around. But, you know, when I had spoken with, you know, some of my mentors about, you know, potentially taking this, it was, um, it was an opportunity that was going to be taken by someone. And I felt it was too important not to be taken by an indigenous team such as mine and having met some of the people that were involved, 
you know, from both parties, you know, this was a very, very serious topic. Having kids and understanding, you know, and hearing some of the survivor stories, I, I couldn't say no to it. So it started us on this, this kind of journey of, of creating this project and this training uh, for this massive corporation um, with people uh, with various opinions on that corporation, but all working together collaboratively to raise awareness for the greater good, knowing that corporations, government, law enforcement, educators, nonprofits, survivors, even Johns and perpetrators who maybe have been, you know, have already screwed up or have been reformed. It, it takes everyone, you know, to come together into this sort of sanctuary of your call to have this collaboration uh, because everyone needs it. Everyone needs to understand how to identify the signs. Everyone needs to just understand what awareness and empathy is. And everyone needs to understand that awareness and empathy don't work for everyone. And accountability and persecution is really what works. You know, so we really had to attack this from almost every angle. And this is by far the most intense. And uh, I feel like it's a fifth child uh, project that, that my team has worked on because of the you know, sensitive nature of, of these authentic survivor stories working in this sort of contentious environment and trying to do the best work that we can. And also understanding that, you know, as a company, you know, having Enbridge as a client in this, in this fashion could be portrayed as, you know, we're, we're, we're a, a sellout or whatever, but ultimately we have a seat at that table, you know, instigating change with a massive company that wasn't listening to anyone before. And we've been able to elevate these stories. Uh, and on the public side with your call, uh, Enbridge had basically, you know, endowed, you know, our campaign to run autonomously through recommendations of knowing that, you know, you can't have an Enbridge public facing human trafficking campaign. Um, it just wouldn't work. You know, so allowing our campaign to run autonomously in this safe space to have all parties involved and knowing that this indigenous led team is truly running the ship. We've been able to do some amazing work, even through a pandemic, even through COVID with no one being able to see each other, you know, working with the link, breaking free, Christine Stark, Mary Kunish, Sheila Lamb, the BCA, Trust, 180 Degrees, you know, so many uh, survivors and, and reformed Johns that want to talk about the mistakes that they've made. This is stuff that, you know, nobody wants to, you know, talk about it or hear about it, but it's happening every single day. And the fact that we're in this position to amplify you know, these stories, we just feel super grateful and honored. And we're just going to do the best job we can until, you know, until we're done with this. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, miigwech for your time. Which, um, Yeah, have a great rest of the day. I really appreciate you sharing your words and perspective and entrepreneurial skills and businesses with us. So that's, it's super inspiring. Well, thank you both. I appreciate being able to share, you know, what we're doing and obviously raising more awareness for your call. Um, we have a domain, yourcallmn.org and on Facebook uh, at yourcallmn. You know, we have uh, more fall events upcoming uh, that we'd love more participation awareness for. Thank you to Rob Carroll for joining us. 
Rob Perro is an entrepreneur and citizen of the Bad River Tribe, who is the head of an Indigenous-led and Wisconsin-based marketing firm and is the voice behind Minnesota's statewide Your Call MN campaign, raising awareness about sex trafficking. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Giga Wabman. Giga Wabman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.